Welcome to another episode of Dr. Doctor, the official radio show and podcast of the Catholic Medical Association, today featuring your physician host, Dr. Tom McGovern, where we and our guests discuss relevant health-related topics from an authentically Catholic perspective. This is another bonus Finding the Halo episode dealing with coronavirus. After all, one meaning of corona is halo of light. So together, let's find the silver lining in this pandemic. Normally, we air on EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network stations, but today's episode will just be on podcast websites as well as the RedeemerRadio.com forward slash doctor web address. We want to give a shout out to the Augustine Institute, who is now carrying us on their Formed app. That's F-O-R-M-E-D. Today's guest will be Dr. Tim Millay. He's a return guest to Dr. Doctor. He's going to talk about the uh, overcoming the challenges of providing sacramental care to patients both with and without COVID who are in hospitals where they are appropriately enforcing strict visitation policies. Tim is an orthopedic spine surgeon at ORA Orthopedics in Davenport, Iowa. He's been married to Beth for 40 years and he has five children and grandchildren. Tim, welcome back to Dr. Doctor. Thanks, Tom. Always a blessing and a privilege. So we are recording this on uh, Saturday, April 4th. Six days ago in the evening, I was included on an email with a number of other people sent by Tim asking members of the Catholic Medical Association to help with a serious situation. Explain what that situation was and is, Tim. The, it was a, uh, a guy and knowing a guy knowing a guy. There's a uh, fellow uh, doctor in town that texted me and he'd had a conversation with one of our local priests and there was a concern. One of the, uh, a family in his parish was concerned about a family member in the hospital, which was not a COVID case, but because the hospital visitor policies were so strict, essentially locked down for COVID and non-COVID, they were quite concerned appropriately that if last rites, if the anointing was, ne- was necessary, um, the priest would not be able to get in. And in fact, the priest had tried and was unsuccessful in doing that. So that was about 6.30, 7 o'clock Sunday night. I sent the email out about 8 or 8.30, and by sunup the next day, as usual, I had an avalanche of emails from CMA members, and some, uh, some of the messages were, you know, our hospital's in the middle of this. We're doing okay. We've, we've got a handle on it. Most of them were, holy mackerel, this is a thing. This could be a problem. We better get ready for this, too. So it became a real... A real groundswell, and, and that the input nationwide was pretty remarkable. So, Tim, many people might not know exactly what the visitation policies are. I know in our hospitals here, what I see is that a pediatric patient is allowed up to two parents, uh, an OB patient is allowed one other person, usually a husband, uh, and then sadly, adults who are, you know, not in either of those two categories are allowed people only under extreme circumstances. What's the situation at your hospitals? It was uh, quite similar to what you described. Um, The hospital was allowing, this is again, COVID and non-COVID, all comers at the hospital, uh, one family member in full PPE in the protective equipment um, at a time. And, um, but they were starting to restrict that more and more too. We haven't had the impact yet as of, today. Uh, We expect our peak in the next 10 days, seven to 10 days or so. 
But the problem was also for what the hospital terms a, quote, actively dying patient, close quotes, they were sticking to the one visitor only policy. And it specifically said one family member. So if uh, they're going to follow guidelines and protocols, one family member. So theoretically, if it said one person, the family member could say, I really want my loved one to have uh, the last rites. And they could step out and the priest could go full PPE and get in. Yes. And so really, that's where we had to focus on first. How do we get the priest at the bedside? And they were, you know, most of the patients and families would love to have a family member there at the same time. So our push was to get to two people, two people in the room with the, an actively dying patient. So a couple of questions that uh, engenders. Uh, first of all, what does full PPE look like on a visitor? Yeah, it really is all of the images you see in the news today, it from uh, head to toe, you've got a uh, face mask, you've got goggles, you've got the N95 mask. Uh, most of them now it's a cloth, something else over the N95 to keep because it's being reused. Uh, uh, gloves, uh, the full gown, impermeable gown, uh, the gloves, some instances, uh, double glove or, you know, just single gloves and a very um, regimented protocol for donning and doffing the equipment before you go into the room and when you come out of the room, uh, which was um, a, an, a subset of what we're trying to do, teaching our priests to do this. Um, but um, they were actually very, well, of course they were very willing, uh, willing and couldn't wait to get it get trained. Now, was this policy different for COVID versus non-COVID patients? It really not, really not. I mean, now, granted, if you have a, a, a COVID positive patient, the index of concern and, and the, the, the adherence to the guidelines, that's ratcheted up a fair amount. But as we all know, that lag time between suspicion, testing, and, and accurate diagnosis it allows a lot of time. And, and so we're a, the hospital, and I can understand this, they are essentially assuming COVID till proven otherwise. But what about patients who might be dying of cancer or, or trauma or, or something else that is definitely not COVID? Right. That, I think they're going to, they've been sticking to the same guidelines, the same very strict protocols with that. And it's, um, uh, my comment in all in, in areas like that is I'd rather be paranoid and wrong than be, <laughs> than, than be cocky and wrong. And so you, you're, you're preparing for, you're hoping for the best, you're praying for the, you know, or you're, pr you're praying for the best and preparing for the worst. So you said that within a hours of sending out that email, you also got an encouraging response from one of your hospital administrators. Yes, there's a, a gentleman. It's uh, the, the backstory is we grew up in little farm towns in, in northern Iowa years ago. And uh, we were in two different little bitty schools about 15 miles apart. And we couldn't stand each other at the schools. <laughs> the schools, it was, a, it was incredible rivalry. Well, you know, God has a sense of humor. Those schools have merged now, which is still a bone of contention. But <clears throat> he is um, a family physician in town. Um, a, a very uh, uh, devout uh, Missouri Synod Lutheran, and um, he just took it. He just took it. I, I heard back from him uh, that night, 
and uh, by the t- over the next couple of days, um, things started happening. Had to go through, we all know hospital administration, had to go through channels, had to go to up the organizational chart before the information and the guidelines could come down the organizational chart. But he truly shepherded it through in a very effective and very, very agreeable. I mean, it was really pretty seamless. And I think a lot of that was just based on a relationship. We've known each other a long time. We trust each other. He is a, just a good guy, a good, solid guy. So do you think that this was just a blind spot? It wasn't out of malice that there was no policy set up for chaplains, priests? Yes, I really do. I, I have, have absolutely no reason to believe there was any concern about conscious rights or anything like this. And if you put yourself in the administration's shoes at the hospital, they didn't see this coming either. And, you know, we've all got our protocols, you know, and, and just like the generals will say, the battle plan's perfect till the first bullet flies. <laughs> and they are thinking about the community. They're thinking about their staff. And this is not going to be a, a high priority for them. And we look at our mission as let's try to make this a high priority for them, but not tell them what to do. Tell them, here's how we can help you do this and give them the tools because they've got enough on their plate already. The, the CMA has a, uh, an 80 plus year old journal called the Lineker Quarterly, the oldest medical ethics journal in the United States. And in 2015, there was an article in there about the Ebola virus outbreak and uh, how to provide sacraments to Ebola patients. It was very detailed in how it was written. Was there anything in this article that you found helpful? Oh, it was a roadmap for us. Um, That Steve Hannon, the author of that article in Fort Myers, was uh, one of the first to um, send me information. Uh, uh, and the file for that article. So that there is one area about the uh, anointing of the sick um, and based on the Ebola experience, but it applies to any significant contagion. Um, That was really the roadmap that the diocese, that we worked with the hospital and the diocese here to put together. So priests, we could show the hospitals, this is how we can do this. And we could show the diocese, this is what the priests need to know to do this. So there was a very cooperative agreement. You could look at three paragraphs, one page of that article and say, this is doable. And it's been done before. And and, and I think that that article was uh, maybe the tipping point for smoothing this area over again. So uh, you worked with priests in your chancery to do this? It was uh, another God incidence, too. Uh, Less than a week before this all developed, uh, a deacon in our uh, diocese, who is a former emergency medicine doctor, he and I were working together on a program for priests and deacons for spiritual support for healthcare workers. These people are under tremendous stress right now. What can we do to help them out? And um, so I emailed him the same night and he had on the side been working on a protocol for the priests if they can get in the hospital. So everything came together at one time and uh, he was exceptionally helpful. We have our director of vocations for the diocese is a med school grad, a geneticist by his graduate training beyond that. 
And uh, he uh, is involved. We have a very well-trained moral theologian at the university, the Catholic University here in town. So bringing in all of these people and saying that we have the tools that can help the hospitals, the hospital can pay attention to that and say, oh, this isn't just somebody who's out there, you know, thumping on a table and saying that you have to do this. We're saying, this is what we think should be done. And this is how you can do it. And we will help you. Uh, that is that's beautiful. Uh, what is the protocol that you have developed with all these interested people? It was very simple. Um, the, uh, my friend in the administrative team uh, called me a Tuesday late morning. So here we are 36 hours after I initially found out about this and said, okay, here's what happens. We are for actively dying patients. We are Okay, now so what is an actively dying patient? patient. Right. That was, uh, I didn't, I didn't really press him on the, on the definitions. Um, I mean, it, granted anointing of the sick is available for anybody who is in danger, you know, of, of death. Well, I'm in danger of death. I'm going to go, <laughs> I, I'm going to get, I have to go take down a tree with a chainsaw later today. <laughs> <laughs> so should I be anointed or not? But uh, the, so I've kind of left that alone with them. But um, I, I think that certainly, particularly in the ICU, um, there, there's not much question um, if it looks apparent there's enough experience to say that. So rather than quibbling over definitions, um, he said, what we will do for actively dying patient, um, we're, we will allow two individuals in the room in PPE. And, um, and he said, remember what I said, it was not two family members, it was two people. So if there are two family members in there, well, then the family wants the priest in there. The patient has expressed their wishes to have a priest there. That means that one of the family members will have to leave so the priest can come back in. As long as the, there are two people in the room other than the patient, that meets the criteria for it. And that was such a, it was a very simple thing. It really was not uh, really getting after them, beating them into this decision. It was educating them about here's a gap in what a holistic approach to your patients is. We can help you fill that gap. And it's as simple as elevating that to two people instead of, instead of one. So somebody who's just seriously ill still doesn't have the right or the ability to have the sacraments. Right. That's, that's something that it troubles me personally. Um, I'm trying to keep a foot in both worlds, uh, yes. our, our, our Catholic faith world and the scientific world and the, and faith and reason. We all know, I mean, there's, right. that's the integration. They're two wings. <laughs> exactly right. Exactly right. And it is, uh, I mean, we, we all want to get to communion. We all want to get to confession. We all want to do that. But um, in, in this instance, um, I'm, I'm, I, I do agree that the benefits that we would feel spiritually and maybe emotionally, um, they're there, but the potential risks that go with it. You don't want a priest going in again and again and again, and are they going to become a, a carrier? Are they going to sure. be affected? So it really is a balancing act. I certainly, I do not envy the bishops. Uh, it is a difficult, difficult uh, thing to wrangle with. 
I saw in some of the emails that were going back and forth, the possibility of just having a couple priests in a diocese learning how to do the PPE or even seeing if there were volunteer priests who would stay in a hospital until this passes. Uh, whatever became of those ideas and are they implemented in other dioceses? Yeah, the um, <clears throat> we had two main options we were thinking about. Now, the, the first the first priest involved in this whole episode, um, he is a military chaplain also, and he is he is an all in <laughs> kind of guy. And he was the one that said, listen, I, I, I told the bishop and I'll tell you, I'm going to go in the hospital now. And I'm not coming out of that hospital till the all clear is given. And <laughs> he said to me, this is not a vocation. This is a deployment. And uh, <laughs> I love so it. it. I was kind of intrigued by that. You know, you're just going to battle and, and uh, your, your own little uh, covert mission. But um, the, the, the primary emphasis though, has been on the other option. And that is having two or three priests. Um, Younger. Younger, healthy, no. and not at risk, you know, not, not the risk factors that, you know, we have priests, that, well, obviously priests in their 60s and 70s, and God bless them, every priest I've talked to has said, tell me when, tell me who. Yeah, this is what how. I was made to do. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I signed up for this. Yes. And so um, the, now the, the, uh, uh, the two or three priests, I'm, obviously that's the bishop's determination to do that. Um, if you look at it again from a personal standpoint, if it's if I'm in that bed, I'm I'm the dying. Um, yeah, I, I do want my my pastor. I do want my priest, if at all possible. But he's old like me, and he's <laughs> quite healthy. But do I really want to put him at risk? And they've taken the same vows. It's the same sacrament. The grace is non-discriminatory. So um, it's better to have, I think the option of having two or three priests um, is better, but it, it may end up being a single one. Um, that's, that's still evolving too, but we know we can get them in the door. Did you learn what have been the protocols around the country from some of your other colleagues in the CMA? Most of them are very similar. Uh, what I'm hearing from others around the country is a very similar approach. Um, hopefully, the the responses that I got that said, "Oh, we I don't know. I, I, I we need to check with our hospital here." Um, the uh, there was also some documents. The Diocese of Rockville Center, uh, Long Island, they had a obviously the epicenter we've all been seeing right. on the news. Uh, they were extremely helpful. They sent me uh, three, four pages of guidelines and protocols they're using now too. And Great. most, uh, a lot of the, the development we've done has been based on their experience too. So learning uh, one from another is uh, obviously just like the pandemic and the treatment and everything else. This is all evolving. Uh, earlier this week, a few night, uh, just two days ago, um, we interviewed Kathleen Birchelman who's a pediatric hospitalist uh, just a few miles outside the New York City metro limits. And she says her hospital has a Catholic chaplain who's been in there pretty much full time. Yeah. So that was good to hear, especially, like you said, in the hot zone of New York City. Yeah, we look at those, if we're going to take those healthy priests, we've called them our spiritual first responders, you know, <laughs> because you, you call 911 for a Catholic priest. Uh, what are some important things you'd like your fellow, you know, Catholic physicians to know about um, you know, what they can do to help instill favorable hospital policies to getting sacraments in? 
Yes, I think there really is a three-prong approach to this. We've talked about hospital administrators. Find the person in the leadership team um, that's working in administration that you have a good relationship with, that has a, an open ear and an open mind, and just review the guidelines before you talk to them. What are their protocols now? And if you see a hole in it like we did, okay, how can we patch that hole? Secondly, um, you talk to your priests. And, and uh, if you can find the contact person in the diocesan offices, that's, that's the most appropriate person to go through. But again, it's all about relationship. This uh, deacon works uh, a lot with our guild. He's very helpful with our white masses. He's a physician originally. So we've developed a very strong relationship there. And I think an underestimated part of this is talk to your patients, talk to your community. Um, and and if you have, your, if you have a, a patient under your care that's admitted, whether it's COVID or not, to, and it looks like things may take a turn for the worse, just like you should have a kitchen table discussion with your parents about what are your wishes at end of life. I think it's our responsibility to ask our patients the same question. And if it's a Catholic family, say, okay, if this is going to happen, if this goes bad, how can, you're go, are you going to want access to a priest? You're going to want a priestly presence here and get them involved in the conversation too, because ultimately the focus is on that bed and on the people wrapped around that patient. So uh, it really is, if you have all of those three areas focusing on the same question, um, that mutual effort is, is much more likely to be successful and acceptable to everybody involved. What final comments do you want to make to listeners about this topic, Tim? This is working. Um, last night, about uh, eight o'clock, I had a call from the priest that started that was initial in the initial episode just last Sunday. And he called me to tell me that um, an actively dying patient in the hospital was visited by a priest last evening. The patient did die. It was a COVID patient on a ventilator in the ICU. Uh, the patient did pass away. The priest was um, at the bedside for the last rites before the patient passed away. And he wanted me to know that number one, it, it went seamlessly without a hitch. The nurses in the ICU and the hospitalists were, his word, elated that he was able to be there for it. Because prior to all of this, they, they were just so nervous about following protocol, following their orders. They didn't, they, they didn't know. It really wasn't a matter of they didn't want the priest in there. They didn't know if they could let him in there. But once that became established, they were just delighted uh, to, to see that happen. And it is that first, that first episode. You do it one time, you know, one for practice, the rest for show, and it went exceptionally well. So we're, we're very, very pleased, very reassured, uh, and, and just very grateful to God that we were able to, to move that along and, and continue to shepherd that cause. Thanks for your strong work and example, Tim. Thanks for being back with us on Dr. Doctor. And thank you to our, all our listeners for being with us for yet another episode of Dr. Doctor. And this special Finding the Halo episode where we found several halos. We are the official podcast of the Catholic Medical Association. 
Please share the good news of Dr. Doctor with a friend. Invite them to listen on their favorite podcast app or at RedeemerRadio.com forward slash doctor. This is Dr. Tom McGovern signing off until your next dose of Dr. Doctor. Dr. Doctor is the official radio program of the Catholic Medical Association, whose members are dedicated to upholding the principles of the Catholic faith in the science and practice of medicine. The views expressed on Dr. Doctor do not necessarily represent those of your co-hosts or the Catholic Medical Association. Find our past episodes and keep up with the latest from Dr. Doctor by subscribing in your favorite podcast app and following us on Facebook. Get links to follow and subscribe or submit a question for our doctors by texting the word doctor to the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598 or visit RedeemerRadio.com slash doctor. Do you own popular index mutual funds or ETFs? If so, you're automatically owned shares of companies that conflict with your moral beliefs. Ave Maria Mutual Funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors can invest in the no-load Ave Maria Mutual Funds. The experienced professional portfolio managers make decisions based on investment fundamentals and pro-life values. You can learn more about Ave Maria Mutual Funds today at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com.